Welcome to the Beardescent Circle. My name is Kirsten Pintogafer, and these podcasts come to you from a cottage on the edge of Lake Winnipeg, where I live with the weather, the trees, two cats, two dogs, and Stefan. In mid-September, I had the great privilege of speaking with Aidan Ingalls. Aidan is a former student of King's College Halifax, where I will be acting as theologian in residence this year. Aidan and I explored the intentions and ideas and hopes that ground this year and this project. It was great fun to talk to Aidan, and I am deeply grateful for the time that he gave to this project. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening. Hello. Uh, so my name is Aidan Ingalls. Uh, I am a former student at the University of King's College in Dalhousie. I'm currently doing my PhD at the University of Guelph in philosophy. And uh, I'm here today with Kirsten Pintografer, um, uh, who is going to be the uh, theologian in residence at the University of King's College Chapel for this coming year from 2023 to 2024. And uh, yeah, we're just going to talk about uh, what exactly she's up to, what she's thinking about, and uh, how this this residency is going to play out uh, in the year. Um, so yeah, first, I guess I just want to start with the practicals. Uh, what exactly is this position of, of theologian residence and, and how do you see uh, uh, your role? What, what are your plans this year? I think the theologian residence is asked to like uh, set the tone theologically for this year. So I live in Manitoba um, and Halifax is several thousand kilometers away. Um, I'm going to go in September for Michaelmas for a week and then back in February for two weeks. And um, and then in the meantime, uh, it is my intent to write letters to the community. So that that is the work. The work is some lectures, some sermons, and uh, a retreat, and then just this holding the community both in prayer and in like, what is it that we want to intend and think about this year? And so if I were to set what I'm hoping is that the community will know um, the infinite love that holds them and that the community will know uh, and be invited to stand um, and be present to time and eternity and, and to how those two things interact. So that would be like my two places of longing is to invite this community to, um, to attend to the infinite divine love that is present in our lives and also to come uh, and to know what to be formed in ways of coming to the juncture of time and eternity. Are you are you coming specifically for um, the chapel community or are you there also uh, to be present to the university more broadly? I think I'm. I, uh, the task is to be present for the university more broadly. Like the task of the chapel is to be, I think, like a, a beacon of, of light mm -hmm. in that community. And so my job is to participate in that light. 
So, so what um, you're talking about the um, the relationship between time and eternity, and this I, I think will form the content of your letters. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about what you're trying to speak to, uh, why you're writing in letters to students as opposed to other uh, you know forms of of, of writing. Um, so, so the reason why I'm writing in letters is because uh, I write best in communication, uh, in relation. I'm a relational person. I fall in love with authors. So I have fallen in love with Martin Buber. He was one of my first loves. I fell in love with Charles Williams uh, and then Julian of Norwich. And all of them, um, I I engaged with, they were my friends. I, I argued with them. I talked with them. I learned from them. And so when it came to Julian and Julian's text, and it was always arguing and engaging with text. And when it came to Julian and Julian's text, um, I needed to write her letters and grappling with her ideas and and um, letting it speak to me and speaking back to it. And so now I think I, I learned that that was a profound way of communicating that sort of opened me and also opens because the, the, um, I received her text as love for me. I received her as caring about my development. I received Charles Williams' writings as that actually writing to me. And so now I want to um I want to write to a group of people. And so um I need to express the love in which that is being done. And I think the only way to do that is actually to address them, to say, I am speaking to you. Um, and I'm thinking with, as I'm writing, you are in my mind, you are intended. And so one of the ways to keep that on the forefront is to do it by letters. Mm-hmm. So um, you're, you're, you're planning on, on writing about different um, feasts and fasts of the Christian year as well as you know various um sort of daily practices that that uh, take place in the chapel can you say a little bit more about how this relates to you know this intersection between time and eternity yeah so let's try to understand time as our existence as movement from our past to the present to the future. It's the process of that movement and the measured happenings of that movement over the course of our entire lives. And because we live in the natural world with its cycles and seasons, our moment-to-moment lives are marked by those and impacted by those. We're impacted by the way that summer is and the way that the winter is, the way the light changes. All of these things have an impact on our lived life in time. And as we go from year to year, Each moment that matches the moment of the year before 
creates like a string of memories. The repetitions impact one another. We remember and we look forward and we anticipate. And we do so within the weather, within the wind, within the amount of light there is. All of this impacts our understandings of ourselves, our understandings of our own development and what that development will look like. It helps us learn. It helps us flourish as we link our pasts and project into our futures. But it also can limit us. You can have an anniversary that is horrible. And on that anniversary, you are constrained and hurt and closed. You might repeat that day very badly and make it worse the next year. And, and, and it's known that we do this, right? Our life in time is this cycle that comes again and again. It repeats, but never the same. But those repetitions affect one another. So, all of that can be, by our openness, related to something that is beyond the limits of our time. If we define eternity as not the, you know, everlasting extension of time, but rather as that which is timeless, that which is not bound by the repetition. Therefore, when we define eternity, we link it to the one who is without beginning or end, God. In that link, there is like a window opened in our time. If we are opened to something that is timeless, transcendent of time, that is of God, God who has no beginning or end and is not in this string of repetition. Something opens in us and can change us. So, there's another element to this. In the Christian faith, we serve a God who came into time. But in coming into time, if he is very God of very God, as we say in the creed, he does not lose his timelessness, his being without beginning or end. And so into the life comes the possibilities of eternity through Christ, right? But he also deals with the absolute finality of our time, of each individual person's time, which is death. He goes through it. So all of these aspects are at play when we think about time and eternity. So then let's bring it back down to the idea of the year, the solar year, and our walk through it in repetition. And what I want to do is to, first of all, pay attention to the repetition. 
not just our internal things that are going on and going through it unconsciously, but also look around you. Look at the food we are given by the beauty of the natural world, the gold of autumn, the the blue, blue, blue that changes in the to a pale in winter and to like such thickness in spring. All of those things, the way the light goes from so little in December to so much and how that impacts our life. So I'm asking people, pay attention to that. What's going on? How is that affecting your memory and your future? And I'm also saying that we also have this great gift in the life of the church and in the, that says that links us through these feasts to the eternal, which is timeless. And it says, come out of your time and be reframed by the eternal realities and go back into your time. Let them reshape the way you think and the way you act. And each feast does it in a slightly different way. And so what I'm trying to draw out in this is this how we are invited both by the repetitious cycle, which is time, and its intersection with the invitation of eternity. The invitation of that which is beyond time, not time. One of the most powerful ways that we live with this is through the daily offices. We wake up and our lives can be tethered to these prayers of awakening. And we live our days and we confess our sins at the end of the day. And sometimes we're not ready at the end of the day to really look at stuff. So we had to stay up all night and in the morning we confess it in the morning and, 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 and the words of morning prayer and the words of evening prayer frame and reframe our lives by their touching. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, I think that's also something I've noticed uh, recently, like coming to a new place uh, um, and sort of starting over in some sense. Um, the rhythm of, of morning prayer and evening prayer and, and Compline, uh, it's like... Um, yeah, there's just that sense kind of permeating um, morning prayer where it's just like it's a new day. Uh, you know, you confess and, and you know, you kind of um, the prayers are all kind of geared toward um, like expectation. And then in the night, they're geared toward really kind of preparation for death and um, think, kind of thanksgiving for, for what has uh, has come. Um, that's that's really interesting. Um, so. Is it is there something like. What what is the sort of essential message that you're trying to communicate to to students? Is it is it a message per se, or is it uh, a kind of questioning or a consolation, or um, how do you see yourself? Uh, I guess maybe the genre of these letters. I would say that I, I love the word that you're using, consolation. I think that um, I think that that is a key word in this. Um, that there that I. I think the one message that I would like to send um, is that there is no matter the way that the circumstances exist, the promise is not that everything is going to be okay. 
the promise is that infinite love is available. Um, and available all the time because we are in communication with the eternal, because the eternal is given to us, has given us our life. So um, if, if, um, if any of the students and any of the listeners come out of this year, I would like them to know two things. One is that that sense of the the constant presence of the infinity of love. Like, so the infinite love, what I, what I mean by that is that it is always expansive. So it doesn't look like what we think it looks like. It It is always more than we can ask or imagine. Right. And so one of the senses that I would like to somehow convey is, is that it's there and that it's holding us. And the other thing that I would like to convey is that we can, we can in in all of the life that is given to us it's um we can live into it that it's always available and that therefore our choices and our um the possibilities of each of our lives is so much more than we we think when we think all we have is us all we have is now all we have is th- this time um, there is like this loosening, both a relinquishing and uh, like, okay, in the midst of it's this, in the midst of this, maybe even horror, love. I I am, I am with love, which means that love can act through me in the midst. Those are the two things I want. Mm-hmm. Does does this sort of project and this sort of direction of your thinking, does it come out of your uh, book that you recently wrote on Julian of Norwich, um, Anchor Holds? Um, is it sort of a de- development of, of what you sort of started in that project, or do you see it as something separate? I would say it is absolutely a development of something that I saw in this project. Like I, um, Julian taught me. I mean, her whole work is about the revelations of divine love, right? And she she helped me to see. Um, she helped me to see the distance that that love can go. So I have always struggled with asking the question, uh, why, right? Like, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why is this, you know? Um, and there was... Um, she profoundly by the way that the book was written and by the way she stood before God and by the way that she saw the crucified Christ on the cross, she uh, dealt with that question in me and fundamentally changed me so that I, I no longer, um, I no longer think why is the, the, the first question to question Hmm. God to, uh, to, to, to raise my fist and say, how can this be? But rather that there is, um, that, uh, that, that the way to deal with that is to lower the fist and stand before the cross and only the cross, which is the ultimate symbol of love, which does not say this explains it. It says, this is God's, presence in it and it's Mm -hmm. enough Mm -hmm. so she 
she changed my question. And then it was then, how do I, how do I learn to be a vessel of that kind of love? How does it flow? If that is the only love that actually can be everywhere, how do I uh, practice attention to that kind of love and also practice instrumentality to that kind of love? So this book is sort of a practice of speaking to it, if you want to put it that way, and and speaking to others. Is it actually speakable? Can you actually say things about it in 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 that actually can give hope? So I'm exercising, um, and exercising in such a way that it isn't it isn't de- determinative, but rather opening for people's lives. Right, like doesn't say this is the way that things should go, but is it says love can be here, and uh, and it and we can dwell within the eternal, in uh, and therefore, um, and therefore live. So it's not, you know, um, this idea of like the intersection of time and eternity. It's not merely just eternity to the exclusion of time, right? It's through time into eternity. Yeah. In some sense. Right. And and very much about like I think one of the key things is um is that e- eternity shows us that each of us has a limit on our time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That um that the fact that we are finite is not um a bad thing but rather a grace because there is always more because we only have to be present to the to the gift that is in the now for us like uh gandalf says when they're standing about to go to fight the end he says what you have to attend to is the weather of now and to the to the ground of now that and the next generation will have to face their own weather and their own ground but you make that ground good enough so that they can have good ground, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a limited amount. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, um, so yeah, it's here, it's present, it's shot through. Mm-hmm. And I think the feasts help us see that. They reveal that to us mm-hmm. in potent ways and they reveal how it's shot through in really potent ways. There's... um a very beloved professor and priest at King's, uh, maybe you've met him, uh, Tom Curran. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he repeats very often in, in some of his sermons um, that there's a kind of uniqueness in um, in the Christian vision. And it's that of um, rejoicing and mourning at the same time and for the same reason, which I has, you know, it, it's just, just a, um, uh, uh, kind of a maxim uh, that I've just come back to time and time again, uh, just trying to trying to think about it and wrap my head around it. It kind of sounds like, you know, with your project, thinking about the feasts and the fasts and the, the sort of daily rhythms, that um, this kind of, uh, I guess, unity of, of, of joy and, and mourning is kind of at the heart of it. It's a beautiful way of putting it. Thank you, Eden. And thank you, Tom Kern, who I think says wise things so very often. Um, Yeah. 
I think that that's exactly it. Because I think that one of the things we need to do is to be able to look truthfully and fully at what is. Um, and I think that if we take our joy from, or if we take happiness from, like, from a privileged turn to get away from an avoidance, from a denial, it isn't what is given and it isn't true, right? Um, so only in a full look, uh, which can which can so easily lead to despair, um, is there uh, is there the possibility of joy? But the full look includes two things. One is the full look means that we see also all the beauty that is around us, especially in the natural world, because we are not seeing, we're not looking. And so often when we look at the dark, we, we lose, we lose the broader vision, right? So that is part of it. And I constantly, I'm, that's my natural self. I need to tell people, hey, look, smell, see, like, and that is God, God gives us that as gift. And then there's also this, um, there's also this uh, eternal, like, sense of of relief, like that Julian's line, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, is a line that must in- embrace hell. It has to. But it is also a promise that it is, that all shall be well. And I, <clears throat> I... I've come to believe that that is true. And if it's not, then the Christian gospel isn't true. So it means that even everything that is wrong, um, that it can be spiraled through with transformation and with love in eternity. It might take eternity. It might take generations. But all of it, that, that the love is available to it and can actually work it. It has to, or it's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What, what was the reason that that attracted you to Julian of Norwich in the first place? Because I mean, you know, it, I was I was wondering that. Like, I've I've started to, to read your book, and um, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it just it just strikes me that that um, I mean, your your theology in some sense seems to be just very affirmative. Um, uh, in a, in a real way and, you know, taking inspiration from someone who, uh, lived in a room, right. Um, with three windows, uh, yeah. Can you say like, why, why her, uh, sort of mystical, um, theology attracted you as opposed to, I guess, someone else? Uh, so I met her, I met her first when I was, uh, probably a very young university student and I was given the uh, the page uh, in a feminist class, I think, feminist theology class, where they gave me this God of God as Mother page of Julian's to, oh. to read, which is incredible. But the first thing I saw is that this was not like an agenda God as Mother, right? Mm-hmm. Her, she would say God as Mother, and then she would use He as Jesus Christ in the next line, and it was Jesus who was the Mother, right? Like so, there was this blending, and here I was, like, um. Uh, in a world in a world that was trying to figure something out and she uh she was speaking all the languages at once and she was free from any agenda 
but mm-hmm. she saw more of God than I saw. And she did it brilliantly like this, this. And so that was my first, I read two, two pages or whatever. And then um, when I was studying Julie, uh, when I was studying Charles Williams, I did uh, a master's thesis on Charles Williams and, uh, and Charles Williams loves Dame Julian. Um, And he, I think he, like, he was part of like, it was Evelyn Underhill then T.S. Eliot and, and Charles Williams who kind of brought her back into the limelight. She Her text had been very, very much not read for several centuries, right? So, and Charles Williams, what he loves about her is her embodiedness, right? Like that that Christ sits at the, the soul seat of sensuality and spirit, right? Like, and that he sits there and and that there is no disregard for the body and the affirmation of the body of our bodies in the world, right? So Julian, who may end up uh, in an anchor hold, does not hate her body, right? Um, and so then I read her because I was trying to understand Charles Williams, and I read her, and here is this mystic, and you know I always think of mystics, or I did at that point think of mystics as ones that were ungrounded and mm-hmm. also who were free theologically and did not work at, i've since learned myself to be very dumb about having thought about that things like that but i thought that they were uh unrigorous in their theological thinking julian is like a theologian like she and she only she doesn't have multiple visions she has one vision and she interrogates it theologically mm-hmm. so um that is probably what, like, when I read her, I was like, this sounds like, this sounds like Aquinas to me. Like, this sounds like, and so, and I was like, how, um, and I could understand it. And I could see that within these, this vision, this, what seemed emotive was all like, was this way of doing theology that just was so rigorous and also multi-layered. And um, so I needed, I needed to work with that your, your project strikes me as, as similar in, in a certain way like like you're taking the image of of the church year the the sort of image of 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 pilgrimage through the through the year and uh and interrogating it uh finding out sort of what it is and why it's there and why we're doing these these strange things uh um yeah do you, do you sort of see that uh as as similar I'm, I'm, yeah, I would say that I'm doing it with the church year and with the physical year, like with the natural year. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm interrogating, why do we get shifted by these cycles? Like, and how is God working here? Um, And how, and how is the church working here? Right. Like, and so I am trying, and I'm also interrogating my own life. Like the cycles of nature have changed me. Like, and mm-hmm. and they do they also put me in different places like i'm in a different place in in january of every year i can anticipate that there's a hard time ahead right like and i'll have to work with it and then lent gets layered on with that and it and it it shifts that hard time and stretches it and so and that after years of living through the same sort of thing and dealing with it in different ways i feel like this great gift of year of cycle and that it does it's like it has a greening impact it has a 
a transformative impact. Yeah, I yeah, it it's it does sort of like gather up the whole personality. Like I I have certainly found like getting into the the rhythms of the church year more in the in the past few years. And it's like all of the human personality like has a place. It's like yeah. despair, fear, joy. Um all of these different things are kind of gathered up in their own way, in their own time and kind of directed towards eternity. Um Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's like um it's like it takes our emotional reactions which go all the way around like that and and it and it gives them form mm -hmm. right and shape and both release and uh, consolation right mm -hmm. and and both this and it and it forms and shapes us and if we are if we allow ourselves to come to it um we are attenuated by it if you want to put it that way like we're stretched by it so that there's more room in us to live mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. you you've talked sort of about you know a kind of theology without an agenda a theology that's not you know for example trying to realize some political end or social end um i guess i guess my question is you know um to to for a student who's who's not religious, uh, um, uh, yeah, is is there something that uh, you know? Are you are you here for them? Is is there a project also for them? Um, and uh, uh, yeah, um, is is theology only for for you know someone who's who's religious or someone who's you know quote unquote part of the chapel community? Um, my hope would be that that I can speak. And I do like in my, in my counseling work, I get to speak to a lot of people who are non-religious mm -hmm. and, um, and, and my hope would always to be to speak. Like, I think love in the broadest term, like in the infinite term can speak to all people. And it's, um, and 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 to reveal the work of of feasts and fasts as works of love instead of works of religion is mm. part of what I'm trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like to say that these are works that are attentive to us, not they don't close us down and make us have a legalistic view of the the world, right? Like they they actually open up the possibilities of of multiple angles on things because we're constantly being broken open that is what mm -hmm. um the christian faith should be both is concern for the world right by bringing it into love and concern for the world by going out from love mm -hmm. so if i don't go out from in love and I, I think that um i think that people can listen to like to these podcasts and they'll hear a lot about the weather and about the natural world. And, um, and I don't intend to like tell you what each feast day means, but rather to work with them in such a way that they bounce off and they let you feel them, that they are a poetic space in mm -hmm. which you experience them differently than you would in a religious life. Mm -hmm. So for those who are, um, who are intentionally in the chapel community, I hope that these are formation 
And for those who are not in the chapel community, I hope that these are messages just of love and, and of, like you say, of there is a place that holds. And even if you don't want to be in that place, it, it exists for you. And that is not, um, it doesn't impose on you. It just mm -hmm. is for you. Um, and, and if, and that is good. Mm -hmm. I think hope is a big thing, you know, as, as you've, you've said, like, um, a lot of the students, I think, um, feel as if they're going into a world with no hope and a world that, um, a world that that's largely without love and so that you know um spaces sort of need to be carved out um uh in order to live but that only just kind of happens by just um brute will um and i think i think yeah i think i think there's a lot of a lot of despair um uh um, around and you know of course for for a lot of good reason but i think i think um yeah just hope that that there is that the world is loved that they are loved um that um a kind of renewal is, is possible um uh in time uh what i what i think is is so beautiful and and important about this project yeah a kind of renewed attention to um the way that that love can can gather up um sort of all of the moments of 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 life into into eternity whether you know whether they're really hard moments um moments of suffering uh or, or moments of joy. And I think for myself at least, that's a message that um yeah, I think the world the world needs to hear. Um because we're sort of constantly, you know, inundated with with um yeah, with just the idea that, you know, we've just got to we've got to make ourselves we have to make ourselves be loved um um we've got to make make uh, our own joys and we've got to make our own um consolation in some sense i guess is it important to you that that you know this image of the church year the image of the seasons is something that is is not made it's something that you're just born into uh and and how is that you know how does that idea kind of affect your thinking and your writing I think that that is, um, I mean, it is fundamental, this idea that life is not ours to make, it is ours to receive. Mm -hmm. um, that life is given um, and it isn't um, the capacity nor the responsibility to make ourselves happy. Mm -hmm. We have the possibility and the responsibility to live into joy to live into that which is given to us. So as life comes to us, and I think that that is one of the prime things that I, I want to kind of um, 
deeply dig into the both the natural year and the and the and the Christian year to to look at is how do we receive of our lives so mm-hmm. that not like cuz if we think that when we suffer there is nothing there for us mm-hmm. right and and if we think that when we're happy that's the that's the pinnacle of life um we we miss our living and and living is it's available to us like i'm not saying that um you know there's a, there's a way of approaching suffering and saying well suffering is a teacher it's meaningful all those kinds of things that makes it into something you should almost seek to suffer so that you are you know getting those things no i think there's a different way of saying when life is hard and there is suffering it isn't closed it is uh it is that the, that there is life available within it we don't and when we try to just make up barriers to it um that in and that we try to control or make or fabricate or um or enclose it then we we miss the gift um so yeah so so what i you know you use this beautiful word attunement um if if we if we can be attuned both to the eternal to and to the natural if we are attuned to them rather than trying to write the script mm-hmm. um there is music to be had and we mm-hmm. might sing our harmonies a bit better and that's what i think like if you if you actually start to listen in a tune you begin to 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 sing or to 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 be your own voice in a different way right is um, is part of your interest in in like the idea of seasons both natural and 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 um ecclesiastical is it that you know these things are shared that they are you know ways that you know um one is sort of brought out from isolation into into sort of a mutual participation. Yeah, and that they're there for all. They are there for all of us. The one, the rain, the rain is on the rich and on the poor, right? Like there's these lines that say that all of this is. Um, it happens to all of us, right? We are all in it. We are given years. We are given time. Mm-hmm. We are given seasons. We are given. Um, the life of the church that changes them. And and even if it's not like, it's not in people's minds, it's still happening, right? Mm-hmm. It's still happening. Like, like the, the, the church happens and does its feasts and fasts for the life of the world. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everybody has to be in it. If we do it well, it can still point us and invite others into it, you know, and attune them to it in a particular way by, by what's happening in that prayer and in that world and in that, you know, being. I guess, I guess one final question. Um, you mentioned Charles Williams uh, before, and um, a lot of us in the chapel have very frequently thought about his sort of central idea of coherence and the idea that it's possible to practically live a life of you know, bearing one another's burdens and carrying weight for each other. Um, that's something that that I think we've been perplexed and astonished at. And, you know, 
we've struggled with it and and um is this idea of of you know sort of entering into the seasons and trying to attune ourselves to this intersection of time and eternity that is always kind of uh erupting um are these are these practices related do you think absolutely i think part of what part of what um the invitation is is to uh let that understanding of coherence like be um the, the practical like it's known in the particularity of the relationships within the chapel community and within the body that is there right and to let that be seen in the way it ripples out like as it ripples out into time like you know earlier you and i were talking about what you're studying in the in the confluence of modern philosophy and ancient philosophy like you are reaching back and and holding where you are right and that gives you access to 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 history as part of your coherence right mm -hmm. as part of the relations that are with you and i think my my desire is to invite people into the coherence that um williams has this beautiful line that we are flashes um flashes of glory on the web of the whole glory right and that glory is not just one small community though it is in this particular way and we see each person's flesh and how it interconnects with the others but it's also all of history and it's also all of eternity right and all we are asked is to be our flash of glory and allow and be participate in the web that is the whole of it and then if we and then if we know it if we are attuned to it if we are paying attention to it both in our relationships and community in our relationships with the natural world in our relations with history it and then in our our just our our putting ourselves relinquishing ourselves to the whole of eternity then then it, it's it all shall be well and all manner of things can actually be well. Uh, we don't know how, but but we're participating in that wellness and all that. And just yes, yes, uh, coherence is absolutely uh, what is what drives it. It's the beauty of the coherence um, and the beauty of of how far that coherence stretches. Um, within the divine love manifest um, on the cross and in resurrection. I just, that compels every word, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much, Kirsten. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been such a pleasure to have this time to to chat with you. And I'm so delighted that you're going to uh, be the chapel in residence at King's this year. I'm so delighted for um friends and students that I've left behind and um yeah just looking forward to to hearing this this podcast that's going to come out of uh this year thank you thank you so much Aiden it was such a gift to talk to you and as I have said to you many times I asked you to do this because I um I'm gonna miss you this year at King's um and also I know how profoundly you've been a gift there
and I am grateful for your mind. And thank you for your questions. You have been listening to the Viridescent Circle. Thank you to all those who helped make this happen. I hope you have a beautiful day.